Listen in to the forum at St. James Church. All right, it's so wonderful to see all of you. I'm sorry, my name tag is on my sweater and it's warm in here, but I'm Ava. It's so great to, to see you here this morning. And I wanna open us in a word of prayer. So let us pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible gifts, not least of which is your presence among us. You are a light to the world. And not least of your gifts is the gift of your church. We give thanks that you have brought us together, whoever we may be from wherever we are coming from, we give thanks that you have brought us together and brought us here on this day that we might meet you anew in scripture, in prayer, in one another, and above all in the sacrament of your body and blood. We give thanks in your strong name, amen. Whoops. So, the forum. Uh, I've been away for a little while. Some of you might have noticed if you tried to email me, you got an out of office, like starting three weeks ago that said I'd be back on the 30th. So I've been away for a little bit and I will admit I had to do a little catching up. So I listened to uh, all the forums in this series. So this is a plug for the podcast. If you've missed any of our time together, the podcast is a great resource. And um, I think it was last week that Ryan was asking you to summarize things. It is hilarious to listen to you try to summarize things in one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> just as a group of people. <laughs> he kept going, but what happened? And you're like, well, I think it was about, no, what, what happened? Just in one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> so if you want to laugh, you should re-listen to last week. It was great. Dunamis, works of power. Um, so uh, I was cramming a little bit. I also felt perhaps a bit behind in reading my Gospel of Matthew. So I got the really kind of unique experience of just reading it in a chunk. And I was cramming a little bit and it reminded me of studying for a midterm. So we're midway through our forum series and in that spirit, I wanna start us with kind of one of those summarizing halfway through midterm questions. Of all you have read of Matthew, the parables, the healings, the movements from place to place, the people he's met, people moving sort of in and out of the narrative, all you have read in the Gospel of Matthew, what has struck you the most? Maybe it surprised you or moved you. What, what have you read so far that has really stayed with you the most? After you've turn, turned the page, after you've gone to a new day, what that we've read has really struck you the most? And you get, um, I guess like six minutes, however long it takes me to get coffee. <laughs> so introduce yourselves at your tables and, uh, and go around and share. Thanks. If you could bring your sentence to a close, um, if there are some tables, if someone wants to, wants to share, if what struck you the most, what has really stuck with you in reading this? Anyone that wants to share? So we had three things that struck people at our table. One was um, the presence of John the Baptist and all that he brought and he represented. Um, the relationship uh, between Jesus and the disciples and how he might tell a parable and they kind of scratch their heads and said, I don't get it. And so he had to kind of 
revert, you know, he then talked about it a little bit more. And then the reaching out to the outsiders and, and bringing the outsiders in. So a lot of different relationships. The relationship between John the Baptist and Jesus, this fiery prophet, the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. Hi, we were, uh, I guess, pretty much of one accord about the uh, compactness of it, the essence, whatever the facts were, they were from the beginning, uh, like the genealogy, which most of us would sort of bypass had significance because they were facts that led up to finally the end that we know about, but not so far, that Jesus uh, was the Messiah. And I also was impressed by the um, how each aspect of Jesus' life was put in, in a few sentences that were very meaningful. And uh, last week when we had the centurion, I thought of elements we were each given in the healing elements of healing and just the essence of it so sort of the scope of the history and how much is packed into this really brief narrative there's a lot here uh any anyone else i think we have time for one more oh well i saw some my guy back here sorry sarah <laughs> uh just a building of the case where he's upsetting the Pharisees and the ruling order and so sort of every page just seems to uh, you know, there's a momentum building for what we know happens so uh, that would be the other thing the story is getting momentum yeah so Campbell talking about sort of the pace that there's this building pace of this tension that the world is sort of going to turn upside down there's something that's going to happen Okay, so there's some things that are that are sticking with us. That's good. Your, your quiet at first made me a little nervous because I found it very powerful to sort of sit down and read this, not the sort of split-up way that we usually meet it in church where things sort of get out of order, um, but in a narrative, the way it was really written. Um, and so the, the theme of our, of our time today is not sort of everything that happens in Matthew up to now, but it's the church, the church. Um, Matthew is the only gospel that uses the word church. Ekklesia is the Greek. Um, it comes from the words ek kaleo. Ek means out, and kaleo means to call or to summon. So the word means the assembly, but it's literally like the called out ones, the summoned ones, ecclesia, the church. So Matthew is the only gospel that uses this word and it shows up in two places. And I sort of want to talk about both of them and then sort of end with what I think that means for us today. So does anyone remember the first place in Matthew where Jesus talks about the church? You guys are killing me. <laughs> I know he used it in one place where yeah. he said, if there's a problem among you, go to the church. If there's a problem among you, go to the church. Bob has the second one right. That's right. Is it Peter? It is Peter. Peter Sarah Cunningham, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. This is the rock on which I'm going to build my church. That conversation with Peter in chapter 16, it's in that pericope verses 13 through 28, if you have your book, if you want to go back. 
Jesus and the disciples are walking along and the disciples are sort of giving him uh, the gossip, the tea, if you will. Um, they are telling him, he's, he says, who are people saying the son of man is? And they're telling him, oh, people are saying he's Elijah, they're saying he's Moses, they're saying he's this, he's that. And uh, Jesus wants to know what they say. And uh, Peter says, um, you are the son of man, the Messiah, the Christ. And uh, Jesus, to that shocking answer that Peter has really seen through to the heart of things, Jesus replies, Peter, you are the rock on which I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So that's the first moment that we hear about uh, the church. And it happens with Peter. And Peter is a sort of a stand-in for all of us. He's a stand-in for all of the disciples first and then all of us. So there's a guy named Stan Duncan who writes and blogs a lot about the church that says, a common Matthew tool has been to use Peter as representative of all the disciples. It is clear that in the hands of Matthew, the gospel writer, Peter is not portrayed just as an individual, but as a stand-in for the entire Christian community. He represents the Hebrew concept of a corporate identity in which the leader was identified with the corporate body, e.g. the king or the high priest represents the nation before God. This is still in keeping with the Catholic notion of the Pope representing the entire body of Christ, but the biblical concept is more equalized that Peter stands in for all of us. So sort of a long quote, I'll break it down. Um, some of you might remember uh, texts like 1 Samuel where the people are asking for a king to represent them before God. They're asking for a king. Before then, it was the high priest that represented the, uh, the assembled nation of Israel. Um, so Peter is a stand-in for all of the apostles. He represents um, the importance of apostles and church leaders, which Matthew is really invested in. Um, this gospel is really focused on the question of authority and how Jesus passes that authority on to the apostles, the way that he sends them out to preach and teach in the communities, the way that he gives them the ability to heal. And there's a, there's a moment where they're not able to heal someone, right? And, it's, and, he, and he asks, what about your faith? I've given you this power, do you have faith in it? So uh, Matthew, as the gospel of the church, is invested in sort of the passing on of that torch of leadership and in churches today, we talk about apostolic succession. Uh, I was ordained into a line of priests that, that stretches all the way back to Peter. But Peter is, I think more importantly, a stand-in for all of us. He's not just, oh, the head of the leadership, he's us. Because he has this conversation with Jesus. Jesus is so thrilled with what he has to say. And what does Peter immediately do? He gets it wrong and he makes Jesus really mad at him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Does anyone remember that part? Yeah. <laughs> so after getting it right, uh, Peter does what we so often do, which is like, yes, I'm right, and then get it wrong. <laughs> He's so uh, excited and moved by his love for his teacher that when Jesus starts to talk about his own death, Peter says, it mustn't happen. I forbid it. We have to stop this. And Jesus realizes that Peter, just like all of us, don't yet, he doesn't yet understand what's going to happen. And Peter later, what, is, what does Peter do? He denies, all of you said it, he denies Christ three times. Peter is really the stand-in for all of us. How much God loves us and what he wants to give us, but also how much we can sort of get it wrong and confuse ourselves and mess it up sometimes. So this is the first time that 
uh, Jesus talks about the church in the Gospel of Matthew. And the second is the time that Bob mentioned when Jesus says, if, uh, if someone does something wrong and you're upset with them, you have to bring it to the church. That's a couple chapters later in uh, chapter 18, the Pericope is 15 through 35. Again, if you have your books, if you wanna double check. So some read this as an implicitly different use than before, this use of the word church, that it takes the vision of a universal church that involves all of us as the rock on which God wants to build and brings it to the idea of a local community. So in this first conversation with Peter, Jesus is talking about all of us becoming the church of God, a universal vision. And then in 18, when he's talking about how you fix conflicts with someone, He's talking about a smaller community where people know one another and you're trying to make peace with your brother or sister and you can't, you bring it to the church. Whoops. Um, so it's an idea that's perhaps more analogous to a synagogue, the communities he would have known, the community like the one we heard about today that his parents brought him to to be presented. Um, and that's one way to read it. And it's the way that church is used again and again through the Pauline letters. That's where the idea of the church starts to come through in the New Testament. Um, but then there's this kind of vague term, because he says, if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. So it sounds like he's kind of saying, let such a one be written off, right? Let such a one be resigned as an outsider or a sinner. Who are tax collectors and Gentiles in this gospel? The disciples, <laughs> Matthew himself. They are the people who are being brought into the church along with the Jews, along with the righteous, along with the called by name, are the people who uh, Jesus' followers are even saying, that guy, you're bringing, you invited that guy? Yes. He invited that guy. He invited the Gentile. He invited the tax collector. Let them be to you as someone who I myself have forgiven and have tried again and again and have brought in. So again, a smaller community where one another, we know each other, where we can deal with our conflicts, but also, again, this idea of the universal, that God really is going to use all of us and everyone we know, even the people that we don't like, to build his church. Um, so the third and last thing I want to say, um, turn to page 98 if you have your books. It's that first moment with Peter where he says, you are the rock on which I'll build my church. There's something really confusing that he says on that page. There's something really confusing in that conversation, particularly when you're thinking about this idea of the church people who have been called to follow God, to embody his love and bring everyone in. Does anyone know what I'm thinking of? I, surprising, yeah, Mike? I asked, a, I asked a broad question, that is surprising. Mike says that you can bind things up and they'll be bound on earth or you can loose things and they'll be loosed in heaven. What I find so surprising while Jesus is talking about this universal church that he's gonna build on Peter the Rock, is he says, tell no one. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. That's what happens right after that. You are my rock, 
you universal church people I'm calling out, summoning out of life and into this new life, tell no one. A little confusing, one might say. Well, so I'm gonna, spoiler alert, later on he's gonna tell them to tell everyone. So this isn't the end of this. There's a Mark in secret. Mark's gospel is a lot more furtive. This isn't all that Jesus has to say about evangelism with words. But remember that conversation where this starts? Jesus sort of starts by saying, okay, so what are they saying? What are you saying? This isn't just a correction. This isn't just Jesus sending them back to the conversation with the right answer. Like, oh no, you told them the wrong one. Go tell them this. Jesus is instead inviting them to be changed. This isn't an entreaty to show and not tell, as a lot of people want to read it. This is, this is an invitation to change so that one day you will be ready to tell. Because Peter, what was he going to do immediately after? He was going to make a mistake. God was inviting him not to be, oh, perfect, stay as you are, rock, plant yourself right here. The church is going to be built on you. He was inviting him to be transformed. And so there are pastoral letters from Peter in the Bible. Letters, um, they're not just letters from Paul in there. There's letters from Peter. And the first, in the first letter of Peter, there's this verse that to me directly recalls this conversation. It says, come to him, come to Jesus, a living stone, though rejected by mortals yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like a living stone, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It is an invitation to transformation, to be built ourselves into a home for God and to be built as a community, because he's writing to a whole group of people, a burgeoning ecclesia. Let yourselves be built and transformed like living stones because that image of a stone can feel so heavy and static. And with Jesus, it's actually really vital and alive. Like living stones, let yourselves be built. In some ways, it feels like the key to the church is in its name, to be summoned, to be called out. To be the church is to constantly be in the act of following the call of God's love. And we are the stones out of which God's church will be built. And Jesus wants us to be a part of it because over and over again, the scriptures insist that our lives in perfect and wonderful, our lives are actually sufficient material for building heaven's kingdom. We really are people who are made for this work of transformation. This time, this place, these bodies, hearts, and minds are the very stuff in which the grace and wonder and love of the living God will find a form. And we are being built and transformed together, even today, even just getting together over coffee to listen to talk about the Bible. We're being built into a community that can later tell the story. So I started by asking you what has really struck you and what has really stayed with you, making you think and making you excited, what's maybe moved you or comforted you or discomforted you. That question is really about where are you being built right now? into a living stone, a spiritual house? Where does faith, as you read this text and get the invitation to really puzzle through it and live with it, where does faith have you by the teeth 
with desire and curiosity? And where are you being shaped and formed by the hope and love of God? So the church is not a static figure, a rock that's hewn and we walk into and we walk out of. The church is being built in all of us, individually and as a community. So I think that's what Matthew's gospel has to say to us about the church. Does anyone have any questions or something that they'd like to add? You know, this is this thing is really crazy, but I, we watched the two sorry, we watched the two popes yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and for any of you who've seen it, the transformation that Pope Francis undergoes from when he was a younger Jesuit to when he has that conversation with Benedict, and Benedict was static. He was not he was not changing. He couldn't, and then he finally recognized that that was the case, which is why, at least in the movie, he retired. Anyway, I, I kept thinking about that when you were talking, that there is, there is that going on still, yeah. even in that big monolithic church. Yeah. See the movie. <laughs> See the movie, <laughs> so, um, I, I love that, because it reminds us that like even within what would look like the highest echelons of the life of faith. There is malleability and there is change and there is growth. There's not the journey from no faith into faith. There's the journey from no faith into maybe faith into faith into is that faith into I think I believe, I believe, I do I believe. It's a, it's a lifelong process, it's a journey. And so to be, when I say it's an invitation to be transformed, I'm not saying, you know, and then you, when you become the rock, you stop. It's that God has purposefully chosen living stones and a changing and, and growing and transforming vessel because the, the journey is never done. The work is never done. So I think that's a good place for us to end. Thank you. Sorry, right, I went a little fast. I was nervous about time. To learn more about St. James Church, visit stjames.org. That's stjames.org.